Section 12 of The Wounded Name by D.K. Broster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Eileen. Chapter 5, Part 3. 5. The coffee in the bowl steamed invitingly, and as long as Madeleine was in the kitchen, Laurent made some pretense of eating the bread. The moment that she was gone, he took his head between his hands and all but groaned aloud. A very much curtailed visit to Amar's room this morning had shown him what a wretchedly bad actor he himself was. Almost as bad as Monsieur Pegalet, whose bad acting it had nevertheless taken him, and poor Dunderhead, such a long time to see through. Amar, he was sure, must have noticed the constraint in his manner. He who felt that the Aymar he had known and believed in, and loved, existed no longer, never had existed. It was that thought which made the blackness of his misery. He took a great gulp of the hot coffee. How was he going to get through the day like this, in the company of this unknown person, and this simulacrum of Loiseleur, and this man to whom no decent human being would ever willingly speak again. And even as he fiercely drank down the remainder of the coffee, fate answered his question by showing the unlikelihood of his being required, or indeed able, to spend it in this way at all. For Madame Allard burst abruptly into the kitchen, and gesticulating, oh, They're on their way. They will be here immediately. Oh, hide, monsieur, quickly. What, soldiers? cried Laurent. Where? Riding along the road. Jeannot has seen them. Oh, be quick, monsieur, before they reach the house. Well, I've got a place, quoth Laurent. Tell monsieur de la Gauchetterie, then. And suppressing the instinctive desire to rush into him, he sped out of the farmhouse towards his walnut tree. He might well congratulate himself on having chosen a refuge beforehand, and also on having already scaled it. And dropping with a thud, he flung himself flat on the thatch between the two sloping dormers of the barn, and almost immediately the foremost soldiers came clattering into the yard below. A moment later, Laurent heard orders given to make a cordon round the place and search the outbuildings first, the voice that issued these being undoubtedly that of a maréchal de Logis, they had then no commissioned officer with them, though, by the sound, they numbered a score or more. More clattering and shouting showed that these orders were being obeyed. Laurent held his breath, but he knew that there existed no ladder at La Bossaine long enough to reach this roof. He heard the dragoons in the barn below and cursing. He heard them saying that this time they had got to find him that Arbel would be too hot to hold them if they did not. It seemed a long time before they gave up the search outside and went into the farmhouse. And with the temporary fading of excitement and apprehension, the anguish of the night rolled back again over Laurent's soul. He stretched himself out on the warm thatch of his airy and buried his face on his arms and began to suffer even more than he had suffered then, and because he was less stunned now, because this morning 
the agonizing readjustment of ideas had begun in his mind. That readjustment, which brought quite logically in its train, the conclusion that all the time they had been quite right at Arbel. Loiseleur, whom he had so championed, on whose behalf he had gone through a whole gamut of emotions, had done a thing so infamous that, as Colonel Guiton had said, his shooting was too good for him. The imperialist, hateful as he was, was less despicable, after all, than the man he had ill-treated. Laurent writhed at the thought. The situation could not go on. That was manifest even to his over-fidelity. He saw now the true meaning of that remark, not so unjust to Aymar, after all. What was he going to do, then? Leave La Cochetterie here, without seeking to plumb the shameful secret, or tax him with it, and have to witness his avowal, or his attempt to lie about it. No, not that. At least, as he had never attempted to justify himself, he would not lie. Why not? Why should he be so sure that La Rochetterie would not lie? He asked himself that, and all the reply that came was a picture of a face whose eyes were not those of a liar, nor the firm and sensitive mouth. That mouth had said to him less than four days ago, I tried to go on believing that I'm not a traitor. And here, already. No, no, he did not believe it. The wave turned upon itself, and there must be some other explanation. Amak could not, and could not have done it. Those very words were in themselves a denial. And in that case, if he taxed him with a thing, he broke their friendship forever. If Aymar were innocent, he could never forgive him. The sun was so hot now, for time was going on, that Laurent was obliged to clasp his hands together over the back of his neck. But nothing could interrupt his thoughts. They went circling back to their first standpoint. Innocent, with that haunted look on him, and did he seem innocent? Had he behaved all along? as an innocent man would behave. Monsieur Pigalet's early observations on that point came back to him. Yet Aymar had tried to recall Monsieur Pigalet yesterday evening. He had perhaps some explanation to offer, of whatever it was he had said in the night. Oh, but why could he not have offered him, Laurent, some explanation during all these weeks of companionship, Aymar had seemed to feel that himself at their parting the other day. If he still was not going to tell him the story, he would have to ask him for it. Not so much because he believed him guilty, but because he could not endure the strain of ignorance. Aymar must tell him why he had no one but himself to thank. By the time that Laurent had come to this resolution, fresh sounds from below suddenly warned him that the soldiers were emerging from the farmhouse. He had been so absorbed that he had not realized that it must be nearly two hours since they came. Well, they had not found him, and unless they did so now. An altercation seemed to be taking place about their ill success. Only scraps of it floated up to him. We ought to have gone on. 
or it would not have been any use. Why, the impudent devil was laughing. Yes, to begin with. Oh, I could have bet my boots, that the cupboard. What shall you report, Maréchal? Why, hunted high and low, and could find no... What about that unmade bed? Oh, coffee? Oh, I did not see them, returned what was probably the non-commissioned officer's voice, and Laurent was sure that he winked. Oh, they've been questioning a mag, he thought, amid the sounds of mounting and moving off below. Oh, I suppose the search was amusing, but he must be in better spirits than I am to have laughed at it. At any rate, he has not treated me as he treated his men. And then he was horribly, bitingly ashamed of himself. He was too much obsessed by the thought of what he was going to do to allow a really prudent interval ere he descended his walnut tree, but once on terra firma he approached the house with a lagging step. As he went along the flagged passage to the kitchen, he heard a sound of sobbing and surmised that the troopers had made themselves unpleasant and to Madame Allard. However, nothing seemed to matter much, not even that they had failed to find him. Madeleine was sobbing, searching meanwhile in a press. But when she heard his step, she turned round. Oh, Monsieur de Cotemar, an awful thing has happened. She dabbed with her apron at her face, and disfigured with crying, and Laurent ejaculated quickly. What? Tell me. She gulped a moment, and then recovered speech. After they had searched every hole and corner for you, everywhere you can conceive, and I had told them I'd no idea where you were, and they began to threaten Monsieur Aymag if he would not tell them, and they said the most abominable things to him. And at last, and they said that as he was a Chouan, and they should imitate the Chouan. Oh, imitate the Chouan? What do you mean? exclaimed Laurent what they used to do in the old days, to make people speak, gasped Madeleine. Oh, good God, said the young man, turning pale, for he knew by repute of those past methods. And they turned me out of Monsieur le Vicomte's room, where they had been questioning me, too. And when I came into the kitchen, here there was one of them holding something in the fire, a ramrod, I think it was. I tried to get it from him, and fling it away, but they held me, but Laurent was no longer there. With a cold sweat breaking out on him, he was at the door of the bedroom. His horror had carried him there like a whirlwind, and then he feared to enter because of what he might find. But the first thing he saw was Aymar, raising himself a little in the bed and saying eagerly, Are you sure they are gone? Oh, for heaven's sake, don't show yourself. Oh, they are gone, but if they were not, Hey, Mark, what in God's name have the devil been doing to you? And how could you let them? Oh, it wasn't worth it. My liberty. Oh, let me see. Oh, if I'd known. Let me see. It came pouring out in incoherent distress, and as Loiseleur relapsed onto his pillows again and shut his eyes, he was bending over him half choking. Oh, my God, my God, what have they done? Oh, I see, Madeleine has been frightening you, said Aymar rather faintly, but with a glimmer of an amused smile. And that was all they did to me, 
mon ami, and tried to frighten me. And all the time the trickle of blood on his chin from his bitten underlip gave him the lie. Oh, don't believe him, cried Madeleine at the door, a bottle of oil and a bunch of rags in her hand. And they did more than that. If only I had known where you were, I'd have told them fast enough. Oh, I wish you had. I wish you had, groaned Laurent. Oh, for pity's sake, tell me. Oh, it's his arm, monsieur, said Madeleine. And Laurent, now perceiving that the bedclothes were somewhat suspiciously bestowed, lifted them off and saw. Only one of the burns was really severe, and that not nearly as bad as it might have been, given such an instrument and so unscrupulous an intention. But the five imprints of the iron between right wrist and elbow were more than enough for Laurent. The even spacing of an inch or two between each gave them an air of deliberation that was sickening. He fell on his knees by the bedside, uncontrollably moved, his English strain all swept away, and put his head down on the hand of that seared and blistered arm with the tears running down his face. Aymar drew a sharp breath. My dear Laurent, he said, opening his eyes and smiling at him. Oh, excuse me, but... Your method of treatment. I believe oil and not... Then he fainted. Six. A greater peace reigned next afternoon in Madeleine Allard's little plot of garden, where the great pear tree stood sentinel over the stalks and jelly flowers and the old lavender hedge than anyone acquainted with the events of the previous day would have believed possible. In the shade of the pear tree had been placed the ancient chair, and in this, with a swathed right arm extended on its shabby leather, and his legs on another chair, was ensconced Loiseleur. Laurent, elbow-propped, lay near him on the grass, and every now and then threw at some prowling hen one of the tiny unripe pears which strewed it. "'You would not do for the artillery, mon cher, observed Aymar lazily, smiling down at him under half-dropped lashes. Oh, but I'm not trying to hit, retorted Laurent, equally lazily. Abased in spirit to the very dust, as he still was, he was also extraordinarily happy. For he had a mag back, the real Aymar, who, wounded, weak and alone, had five times gone through agony for him. It must have been agony, whatever he said. He shot a swift but almost adoring glance at him now, where he leant his head back against Madeleine's best pillowcase. He was nearly as colorless as the linen, and the circles under his eyes were very deep and dark, but at least he did not seem to be in pain any longer. Yet while Aymar, ill and defenseless, had been undergoing that for his sake, he insecurity, had been thinking. The very remembrance almost choked him as he lay there under Aymar's eyes. If he knew, if he knew. Aymar, who had heard the soldiers talking, believed Guiton to be at the back of the disgraceful business. It appeared that he had so bullied the first search party when he learnt. Not, however, for hours afterwards, of Loiselag's presence at the farm, 
and that the second hardly dared to face him without the escaped prisoner, whom he correctly assumed to be there also. Indeed, Aymar was of the opinion that the colonel had gone so far as to hint, and that there was no need to stand on ceremony with him. Perhaps that was even why they had been sent without an officer. He asserted that he bore the dragoon no ill will for proceeding to extremities. They were really desperate. And if their commanding officer had assured them that, since he was beyond the pale, it did not matter what they did to him, could they be blamed for believing him? They had only used the ramrod as a last resource, and unwillingly, or there would not have been such a long prelude of threats first. But, however much their victim tried to extenuate them, Laurent felt, as he said, that he was not so proud of being a Frenchman as he had been. His disgust and horror suddenly got the better of him again now, and abruptly smiting the grass, he swore. And then, for the twentieth time, he said, Oh, how could you let them do it? And how I wish I had not told you about that dungeon. Oh, my dear fellow, you're making a tempest in a teacup once more, responded Aymar. And do you suppose that the exact degree of captivity with which you were threatened made any difference? Or, unconsciously he threw back his head a little against the pillow, or that if you had been my worst enemy, I should have yielded up the secret of your hiding place to force? Now think of that aspect of it, if it is any consolation to you, also of the fact that I got a testimonial out of it. For though they began by remarking that I was not likely to require any violent persuasion. Oh, I'm sorry, I did not mean to tell you that. And they ended by saying that I was a stubborn devil, which I took as a high compliment. No, Laurent, in all seriousness, it was child's play to what it might have been. Now, even if that were true, said Laurent, pulling up grass distractedly, you did not know whether at any moment it might not cease being child's play, nor when it was going to end at all. And as Aymar said nothing to this, he shot out the query, why did it end? Or perhaps owing to the intervention of your patron saint, suggested Aymar, smiling. He had considerable experience of the effects of heat, we are told. No, I think they were ashamed to go on any longer, and a little frightened at what they had done, insignificant though it was. Moreover, iron does not keep hot forever, and though they talked of going into the kitchen to reheat it, I really think they dared not face Madeleine again. My impression is that she screamed continuously throughout, and that distressed me more than anything, because I was afraid you might hear her and come in. Oh, I only wish I had, sighed Laurent, running his fingers through his hair. But Aymar, he was unable to leave the hated subject. If the accursed thing was cooling, as you say, how is it that the last burn is so much the worst? Aymar looked up at the pear tree, because they kept the ramrod on about three times as long, and that is why. What is that book you're not reading? Laurent raised himself and laid on his knee the little copy of The Vicar of Wakefield, 
which he had inadvertently brought away from Arbel in his pocket. Ah, my old friend, remarked Loiseleur, and fell to turning over the pages with one hand. Laurent returned to his pose on the grass. Yes, Aymar could talk, and even jest, about yesterday's ordeal. He would never be able to do so about that horrible inquisition at Arbel, in which he had suffered no actual physical violence. Presently, indeed, the reader gave an exclamation of amusement. Laurent, listen to what I've lighted on. And he read out in his careful English. My friends, said I, this is severe weather in which you are come to take me to a prison, and it is particularly unfortunate at this time, as one of my arms has lately been burnt in a terrible manner. Laurent could not help smiling. Really, he remarked appreciatively, that book is extraordinarily apt. It always seems to hit the situation. Yes, agreed Aymar, for it goes on to say, and I want clothes to cover me. He glanced at the three or four inches of wrist protruding from the sleeve of Monsieur Arbel's coat. But how did this unfortunate divine come by his burnt arm? I've not read it. By rescuing his infant children from his house, which burst into flames before his eyes, in what I've always considered the most surprising manner. If you'll give me the book, I will find the place. It is a few chapters earlier. He reached up, found the page, and read. It was now near midnight that I came to knock at my door. All was still and silent. My heart dilated with unutterable happiness when, to my amazement, I saw the house bursting out into a blaze of fire and every aperture red with conflagration. I gave a loud convulsive outcry and fell upon the pavement insensible. Very surprising indeed, assented Aymar gravely. But tell me, why did you say that the book was always so appropriate? I do not remember in our readings any other circumstances of the life of Monsieur Primrose which your ingenuity could apply to either of us. Laurent bent his head to conceal from him how red he had got. How could he have been such a fool as to let slip that remark? For what had been in his mind faced him now as he turned back from chapter 24 to chapter 22, the famous and disturbing heading of the intermediate chapter, which had given him such a shock at Arbel. None but the guilty can be long and completely miserable. Oh, I can't find the other place, he stammered, hastily turning over the leaves to get away from the damning phrase. Oh, but surely you can remember what the incident was, persisted Aymar. Oh, come now and he threw a pair onto the book, while the unwary Laurent, thankful at least to have got the volume out of the inquirer's hands, cudgelled his brains desperately. At last, inspiration leapt into them. Oh, this is what I meant. Don't you remember, somewhere near the beginning, where his daughter falls into a torrent, not a salmon river, though, and is rescued by a stranger who plunges in, he turned feverishly in search of the episode and read it, and, encouraged by his escape, looked up at his friend with a meaning smile and added, We are told a little earlier 
that the stranger's conversation, which was at once pleasing and instructive, induced me to wish for continuance of it. And then he closed the dangerous volume firmly, returned it to his own pocket, and dropped his head again upon his arms on the warm grass. How the sun is getting round, observed Aymar presently. No, I'm all right. I like it on my feet. I'll come and lean up here. You will be out of it, then. And so Laurent dragged himself nearer and rested his back against the side of the chair. Aymar amused himself by gently pulling his hair. Oh, tiens, said Laurent with a little yawn. And that is what Maman used to do to send me to sleep when I was small. For it generally did. If not, she would tell me a fairy story. Oh, tell me one. His head dropped onto Aymar's knee. And the hand left his hair, and there was silence. If I told you a story, Laurent, came Loiselog's voice at last. It would not be a fairy story, nor do I think it would send you to sleep. And after a longer pause still, he added, so low that Laurent barely heard it. No, not today. But Laurent was already carrying the words with him into a land of dreams, where they interpreted themselves as something quite different. End of section 12